Hi everyone, this is Dave. Before we get into the episode, I want to call out two things. When discussing the location of this last weekend's attack in California, I incorrectly stated Monterey Beach when I meant Monterey Bay. I apologize for that. Second, between the halfway point and the two-thirds of the waypoint during the discussion, there is an expletive that is used. So if you happen to be listening with others, just be advised of that uh, word. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of Nerd Out. This is the first Nerd Out of 2023, and I have resolved this year, gentlemen, that we are going, I'm not going to mess up the intro this year. So I'm going to resolve to just say, welcome to Nerd Out. This is where uh, smart people like to talk and go nerd out crazy on security topics. And I am joined by two fine colleagues today, um, Ed Heyman and uh, Alec Davidson. So, gentlemen, let's introduce yourselves. We'll start with Ed, the elder statesman. No insult to age, mind you, Ed. I'm just merely stating you're a little bit older than Alec, who just got out of the crib. So that's all I'm going to say there. So, And I feel like I'm still uh, in it. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> hi, everybody. My name is Ed Heyman. Uh, I'm a former um, uh Intel analyst for the uh, defense and intelligence communities, spent 35 years in that pond, uh, have since uh, become uh, basically a serial and unrepentant consultant to houses of worship uh, and communities in the Southern California area where I reside uh, with respect to security uh, and uh, protection issues and uh, am currently co-chair of the Organizational Resilience Group uh, at Faith-Based Information Sharing and Analysis Organization. If you're not familiar, check us out. Uh, if you are, we'd like you to participate more. So other than that, uh, I'll turn it over to Alec. Thanks, Ed. Um, my name is Alec Davison. Uh, I am a all-hazards risk analyst uh, at the Water Information Sharing and Analysis Center. Uh, at the same time, I am also, uh, Dave is with my, one of my coworkers at Gate 15, which you all know, Another, I'm a risk analyst there. And before that, as Dave uh, kindly mentioned, I'm just the youngest crib. So I graduated a few years ago uh, from GW, getting a master's in security policy studies. And I've been with Gate 15 team now about two years. And uh, yeah. excited to be on Nerd Out. I've been listening to the podcast for a while. So ready to get into it. Well, as a, you know, as a GW alum uh, there, my brother went to George Washington, but I'm a George Mason alum, and mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're not supposed to like you too much. I, I'm not sure the whole history rivalry behind it, but apparently on the basketball court, you guys beat us up pretty well. So, um, but that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk <laughs> about security. Ed joined us last year. If you if you won't call, you can go back into the Nerd Out archives and you can see that Ed joined us last year around this time. And we were talking about a hostage situation at a Texas church uh, that was uh, worked through and Ed provided great commentary. And then Alec, you'll recall, was on the uh, Security Sprint last week. And if you're not familiar with the Security Sprint, it's our, one of our newest podcasts. It is the newest podcast. And and we sprint through topics on a, on a quick thing to try to bring some additional insight. But we're here to nerd out on some security topics. And I think the first topic here is pretty clear, everyone, that we'll be talking about uh, the incident in Monterey Beach uh, over the weekend. Uh, an individual, a 72-year-old Asian man, uh, as we've now learned, a 72-year-old Asian man uh, walked into a dance studio shortly after Lunar uh, New Year celebrations occurred. Uh, and actually during an event that was being held at the dance studio uh, and killed 10 people and wounded 10 others, uh, departed that location, went to another location, another dance studio, and this time uh, had a different result. Uh, he was actually uh, stopped from carrying out any activities and actually the weapon was uh, confiscated, which then led to his ultimate identification. Police then identified the individual, went to uh, and did did find him. Unfortunately, uh, he took his own life and uh, and escaped uh, any further action there. But he took his own life um, and ended the crisis. Now, uh, from a security standpoint, gentlemen, let's start off with just 
you know, initial reactions. So Ed, uh, Sunday morning, you're, you know, you're waking up, you see the news. What are your initial reactions when you start seeing the news coming out of California? Uh, first and foremost, uh, it's, it's, it's not too far up the road from us. So uh, that's the first uh-oh. Uh, we've been hit uh, twice now uh, inside the year. The first was the Laguna Woods incident. Uh, again, uh, an Asian gentleman going into a house of worship and uh, taking lives. Uh, and, and here, um, Asian gentleman, again, first thing that ran through my mind was, was uh, possibly hate-related, uh, either uh, in, in, in line with uh, uh, anti-Asian or possibly as the Laguna Woods incident turned out to be a uh, geopolitical conflict between uh, China and Taiwan. Um, and then as the situation starts to unfold, it turns into something completely different. It looks like a, a uh, domestic instant, instance uh, domestic violence, uh, gentleman's angry at the fact that his ex-wife is going to a dance and he's not. Uh, and then as the pieces have really come into play, finding out that the gentleman's got a long background at that particular locale uh, and has also had some uh, interactions with police out in Hemet, where apparently he resides, which is a desert town, uh, not too far from LA, but certainly not easy commuting distance. Uh, that's just coming out uh, this afternoon. First, I've read about it and haven't read completely into it, but uh, tragic situation. Yeah, a lot of a lot of really good points. I, I would have to say, I when when I was reading through that, my first instinct too was anti American, anti Asian, uh, hate related activities. Here you have a, a lunar celebration. A lot of people are out. This is really the first time in two or three years that they could do it in the full regalia i mean really have everybody out that was the first thing that came out and then you're right the domestic violence stories come out and then new information is constantly being developed and by i'm sure by the time we we publish tomorrow uh there'll be some more information that comes out but uh we'll speak to that in a little bit so what about you alec what was the first things that kind of went through your mind as, you, as you're going through this here yeah so similar to previous comments i just made like I remember waking up Sunday morning and rolling over, checking my phone and going through the news and to my uh, dismay, like seems to happen too often in our country and around the world, you see another violent incident or hostile event has occurred and fatalities. And again, like you all, my first thought is motives and like, why, why was this conducted? And then I saw more into it. Um, you see, I saw 65% Asian uh, American community and that in Monterey, Monterey Park. So you, you, your mind goes to it being a hate crime. Obviously, as we said, it wasn't. And then uh, separately, so motives, again, still mostly unknown, but just my uh, weird wonky security brain goes to access controls and um, a perimeter. So how did that uh, gunman get into the building? Were there any things, barriers or other types of methods that could have stopped him? Um, just again, because you have the two different, it's very sad still, but a very interesting scenario how there were two different locales that the shooter tried to go to. Obviously the first one ended in fatalities and the second one, it was a lot better story. So it's just, it will present an interesting like dichotomy of case studies of what the one venue did wrong, what the other venue did right. So again, just yeah. how did they get in there? Yeah. Yeah, great. That's a great call on Alex. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. Let's dig into that a little bit, you know, because that is especially it will be again, more information needs to come out. But but yeah, clearly you have, you know, 20 casualties, you know, 10 fatalities, 10 injuries. There may be more. There may be more fatalities, unfortunately, if, if depending on on the emergency response uh, and the hospital work that's going on. But um, there may be more coming out. But but then in the second incident, again, same studios. What one of the things that picked, you know, that that called out for me was just a description of the environment. You know, these were all strip malls. This is, I mean, so if you think about, you know, when you're going downtown or when you're going shopping or you're going to pick up an item here and there, mm -hmm. you look at strip malls and you look at the the types of stores and shops that are in there. My daughter does dance um, herself and it's a little bit different than a, you know, this, I'm sure, but at the same time is 
you know, you walk through the front door and you just go right to the room. There may be a front desk. There may be, if there is a front desk, there may or may not be somebody manning it. And so I think there's a lot of things that go into this. Um, Ed, talk talk a little bit about what some of your thoughts are when you see these type of, like a lot of these organizations, look, they don't have the people, they don't have the resources. They, they're trying to make it enough just to pay the rent for the, and to pay their employees. Um, it, it's hard to step up a lot more security on some of these fronts. What, what are some of your thoughts when you see things like that? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dave. And and and, and the reality is just that um, I, I don't know. I don't know how it works where where you are, but um, here here in Southern California, there are a lot of houses of the worship faith communities that start out in strip malls because that's where the rent's cheap. Yeah. Uh, either they're they're subletting from uh, from from an existing tenant. Uh, or they're they're working on short-term leases. They're usually small uh, spaces, but but that's that's a place to get your 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 uh, organization started. And the reality is is that uh, they they may not have the wherewithal to do any kind of real target hardening. Uh, they don't own the space. But the 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 thing that the thing that continually comes out from the vast majority of these kinds of incidents. And it doesn't matter how well-established the, uh, the community is, it doesn't matter how uh, deep their pockets are. Uh, I think back to um, um, uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Tree of Life, and uh, um, the, the, the Poway incident in Southern California uh, several years ago. In both instances, uh, lone gunman, armed, armed, armed to bear, you know, <laughs> armed, armed for bear, uh, comes in and despite any other predilections or precautions or securities that may have been in place, doors are open. And one of the things that I hearken on repeatedly with organizations is that it doesn't matter how thick your door is, it doesn't matter how well padded, it uh, doesn't matter how hardened your facility is. If you prop your doors open or if you leave your doors open, um, you're inviting problems. People will literally just walk through. Uh, the big difference, it seems, and we don't have all of the information yet on the uh, Monterey Park venue, uh, but in the Alhambra venue, uh, there was a young gentleman, 26 years old, uh, the sister of the manager and grandson of the owners, who happened to be sitting behind an entry cubicle, uh, responded immediately when he saw the gentleman come through the doors with a weapon. Uh, the difference between tragedy and a uh, resolved situation is that I don't know how well trained or whether he had any training at all, but he saw that there was a problem uh, and, and, and took agency, took the agency as a civilian to jump in and try and resolve it, and uh, was quite heroic. Apparently, I haven't seen the the films. I've seen one still uh, from uh, the the CCTV that they had at the location, uh, and he's he's wrestling with the with the gentleman uh, and and has taken the gun back from him. Um, there's nothing more to be said in a situation like that than. Having someone at the door doesn't cost any extra, can be a volunteer. It's just got to be someone who you've given uh, the agency to or empowered to say, if you see something, uh, respond. Uh, and and, and uh, whether it's a matter of calling 911 or, or putting yourself in harm's way in order to jump in, that's policy issue. But the, uh, the, the, the mitigation clearly is if you're going to keep your doors open, at least have someone there monitoring who's coming in and going out. Yeah, no, wow, it's a great, real simple, right? I mean, it doesn't cost extra money. It doesn't cost extra personnel, right? I think it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of respects. Sometimes we overthink these. I, you know, one thing that struck me really when you were talking to Ed is the Baldy Church or school shooting uh, back in, in, was it May? Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, the back door was propped open, right? I mean, like it, it, it it's one of those things that you, if we're going to do security, let's do it right. Let's lock those. If we're going to have certain ways, let's let's look at our access controls. Those are the most basic things you can do 
and it goes a long way. I mean, I think in some respects, you know, harkening back to my old army days, you know, and, and uh, you, you know, we looked at, you know, everybody got an ID card check at, at, at some point, it became that way after 9-11, but before then they would have random ID card checks. And, and this was all part of a random, they called it a random access measures or uh, to, to just kind of throw off people from time to time. Because if you were planning an attack, all of a sudden something changed in the front. You're like, oh, wait, I gotta, gotta do that. And that's something I talked to in the hostile events attack cycle for mitigation steps is, is employing these random measures that, that just change up the situation. Because if somebody's surveilling you, if somebody's looking to carry out an attack on your location, they're trying to find trends and patterns. And if they can't discern one from you, and that, and and frankly, the most basic thing you can do is just to to really have somebody at the front door that's going to be a challenging thing in accessing. So, mm -hmm. so Alec, do you know Bill? You know, talking through some of that, what what are some of the things that you think about when you look at these events and these incidents, and some of the things that people can do uh, from a security measure standpoint? Well, uh, great points, uh, both by you and Ed, Dave, and. When, uh, especially when Ed was talking to your question too, Dave, which in my mind, which is uh, on top of just access controls, another addition is just training, mm -hmm. training, training, training. Again, it, it's you can. There's a plenty of free trainings. I know we're going to talk about this later. I have free training courses I can point to, but we'll get into that later. But again, just training for your people, training for your your stakeholders in your community who may be coming into your organization. Um, for example, at a utility uh, which we work with, um, just training uh, employees to be able to spot suspicious activities and uh, methods for uh, reporting those suspicious activities is huge. I mean, it can make the difference between arresting someone for uh, just stalking around your facility or God forbid, having done something incredibly damaging to your facility and taking down your operations. So just frequent awareness training for your employees of the threats, of the risks to operations, and methods to mitigate those is key. And again, I, we can point to many free resources that every organization can take advantage of now. It's better to understand your threats today under blue sky days than try to understand what's going on in a black sky event. Oh, that's yeah. that's 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 pretty good there. In that, in that, you want you want to patent that one or trademark? <laughs> that, yeah, a, I'll trademark that yeah. here. That's a that's a that's a tagline there somewhere. It's like a signature under the thing there. That's very well done. No, I think you guys, you're you're spot on. Training is, I mean, and again, let's let's roll into that. Let, let's talk a little bit about some of these resources that are available. And it can be training. It can be other things. You know, there's a lot of, I, I think people get really scared away with, you know, the idea of adding security because it's going to come with dollar signs. It's going to come with dollar signs, but that's really not the case. No. I mean, I, I think if you really look at it and look, if you want the high tech stuff, there's plenty of that out there. Believe me, there's a vendor who will sell it to you. And, and, <laughs> and look, and, and you, and, and we certainly appreciate. At, you know, endorse that your organization should consider that type of stuff. But that said, there's a lot of organizations. And look, when we talk across the all hazards, whether that be environmental, cyber, or, or physical, there's a lot of um, uh, there, there's a lot of ways that that you can uh, you you need to be layered in a certain direction. I've kind of lost my train of thought here on, on but my point is, is this is is there's a lot of resources that you can go to that really help prepare you. So Ed, when you look at some of these, I mean, you work with houses of worship and and with faith based I saw this is a this is a real challenge for this this group. Um, and, and again, not because they, they don't understand security, but just because of the financial standpoint of like a lot of small businesses are targeted for this. See, I, I came mm -hmm. back around. I, I kept talking enough and my thought process <laughs> came back around. What I wanted to say was small businesses are targeted more often than not yeah. because um, for a lot of different reasons, but we need to be protected. So Ed, thinking you know, through some of the things that you talk through with some of your people you advise on and even talking with faith-based ISAL, what are some of the things, the resources that you like to point to? Uh, the, you know, the, the, the resource pool quite quite frankly, is very deep. And, and, and I don't think that we give the federal government credit for a lot of the things that they do right. We always talk about the things they do wrong. But if, 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 if you spend 
you know, five minutes with a good search engine, you'll come up with more pages of free training resources in this exact threat space um, than you can possibly digest in a lifetime. But that said, it doesn't mean that 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 you can't come up to speed in a very short order on some of the best thinking that there is as far as protecting whether it's a house of worship or uh, a small business or even a large business for that standpoint. And to the to the exact point, uh, the the new executive director at a synagogue that I work with. Uh, was bringing on a new employee uh, and, and wanted to know if I had anything that they could do as far as, you know, quick, quick uh, active shooter training. And it was like, uh, my response was, yeah, absolutely. There's any number of uh, online courses as far as that's concerned. But uh, given that this person was going to be working the front office of a, of a house of worship, I said, active shooters, probably the last thing on your, uh, on, on, on your list that you need. There's a whole slew of other trainings that are likely to be more important from the standpoint of, you know, dealing with irate customers, members, uh, um, insider threats, uh, bookkeeping, uh, accountancy problems, um, uh, mail, communicated threats, et cetera, and was able in a, in a very short order to put together a laundry list of, of really credible um, video and written materials that they could um, take a look at. The list was fairly daunting and they got back to me. So well, this is a lot of stuff to absorb. And I actually went through and did a minute count on the videos that I was recommending and said, look, you can have your person completely up to speed in three and a half hours if they just look at all of the stuff that's that's on here. These are not long videos. These are in many cases, they're introductories. Um, and, and, and no, when the person's done, they're not going to be, you know, tatif, you know, qualified to go serve with a tier one unit, you know, out of, out of North Carolina. But the bottom line is, is that what you're trying to inculcate in people is a, is a sense of security, a security awareness, uh, and the, the sort of things that they need in order to have, you know, to develop a good spidey sense. Uh, that something is off and something needs to be to be addressed. And in, in, in looking at that, these little videos that good good resources coming out of FEMA, out of their out of their pages, FBI, excellent resources, CISA, excellent resources. They all have threat pages that go into detail on the uh, areas of concern that they have. ATF has has some excellent things on how to handle and respond to um, suspicious packages. Uh, the Postal Service has the same. Uh, you, can, you can really educate yourself very rapidly in a relatively short period of time on, on what you need to know in order to man the front desk. And, and that said, um, I, I really do wanna say that reviewing these things, they're credible, they're important, they're well-produced, and they get to the point very quickly, which is something that sometimes I have a hard time doing. I ramble a little bit. <laughs> the bottom line is, is that uh, it doesn't take a massive investment in order to come up to speed and learn to, to recognize the stuff that, that you need. And I'm going to echo a point that Alec made um, just a few seconds ago uh, in, in that, and it needs to be frequent. Just because you've gone through the series once doesn't mean that you don't want to be refreshing yourself on it routinely. And I say that not only to the to the folks who are man in the front desk, but to all of the people who are involved in security or need to have some level of security awareness, your employees, your boards, um, um, your, your clergy, uh, and, and anyone else. A regular refresher on this. Is there anything new? Is there no, anything that I hadn't considered before that I should come up to speed on, always valuable, always valuable, you know, set aside a, an afternoon or an evening uh, to just go back to those websites, check to see if there's anything new, check in with us at FBI South, find out if we've got any new resources, uh, check in with Gate 15, any of these organizations, and, and, and they'll tell you whether or not there's new stuff on the, on the market that's worth spinning up. Yeah, so many good points there, Ed. And, and um, you know, I want to also echo a point here is a lot of these materials come prepared. 
Like you don't have to do anything for it. You can like the video is already there. Hey guys, watch this five minute video on, on X, Y, or Z topic. And I think it'd be really good. A lot of these groups are doing great work. So they do that. I also want to say is, you know, you mentioned it too, is, you know, like, you know, an active shooter situation is the most dangerous, you know, threat for most organizations, right? That is going to be the most devastating type of event that any organization will go through. It's also probably one of the the lowest likelihood events. If we go back and look at these incidents here, look at, you know, just training on access controls, extending the perimeter, doing certain things about just, you know, disarming folks when they come into the door, those type of activities, identifying suspicious behaviors and activities, that goes a long way to ultimately preventing that most dangerous course of action. So I just wanted to reinforce that really good points there, Ed. So Alec, you know, you do a lot of work in this space. You do a lot of, you know, advising and and writing up, you know, recommendations for groups and folks, you know, when you, you know, when you're building out those, how, how much does this factor in? How much do these resources factor in to your discussions and, 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 you know, what are some of the outcomes you can get from that? Well, first, uh, thanks for that. I, these resources are huge in my day-to-day work. I'll say in a lot of the times uh, when we're describing a threat or an incident, we'll utilize these resources or point to them at the end of our analysis and say, oh, and for tips for if tips for helping to mitigate that threat or to prevent this from happening, go here. So for example, I just um, did a report about a reservoir dam failing in a local town in Idaho. And then at the end of that report, we just list uh, gave references to all of these government reports on how to mitigate uh threats to dams how to secure increase re- resiliency of dams so again just to your question these are huge but um i want to give our listeners a little laundry list that i through my work as you're saying that I, uh, with utilities and other organizations that we've collected that are again these are free government resources and specifically what i'm going to name we can with dave's permission put in the show notes for later so you guys can go look at them but these are all CISA and again that's the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. So the, again free tools offered by CISA and there's a few other federal agencies that Ed mentioned too but for CISA you can conduct a facility vulnerability assessment such as offered through DHS's Protective Security Advisor program. So if you haven't heard of the PSA program they're trained uh, security professionals who can come to your facility and conduct a vulnerability assessment and then give you uh, tips for improving your facility's uh, security. You can, again, we talked about training employees to identify suspicious behaviors and activities. You can use resources through the Nationwide Suspicious Activity Initiative, the SAR NSI initiative. And again, uh, DHS has this US Violent Extremist Mobilization Indicators booklet, which is free. And I highly recommend everyone having their employees look through that. Again, we were talking about understanding the threats. So maintain situational awareness about events happening in your communities uh, by connecting with your local fusion center, joining your local information sharing uh, organization. And this is huge. The next part, prepare and update emergency response plans. Mm. You can use templates and free resources offered by EPA, FEMA, CISA, all these other organizations. It's crucial to make an incident response plan action before and during an, because IRPs help you recover much better from an incident. So again, as I mentioned earlier, better preparing a blue sky versus a black sky event. And lastly, rehearse and improve your plans in employee preparedness through training and exercises, exercise, exercise, exercise. There's all these free CISA tabletop package, exercise package that you can uh, go through. So again, you could have an incident response plan that's all well and good and have all these fine bullet points. But if you never exercise it or done a tabletop exercise, people might not know what to do when uh, shit hits the fan. Excuse my French. Hey, I, I got to put the E now in front of this podcast title. Oh, I'm sorry. The, I didn't know the ground rules. <laughs> no. And then hey. lastly, real quick, there's um first responder toolbox series, which is explicitly yes. reference aid material for deterring, preventing, disrupting, responding to terrorist attacks. So again, I know that was a long list and uh, we could put that in the show notes for all of you. Yeah, please send send along to Alec, I, I, and I'll get those added to the show notes. Great, great points there. And again, I'll go back to Valdi because that's that's a, one of those big, you know, lessons learned portals. And and they did a great job in their after action reviews and lessons learned uh, report on this. But you know, they had a plan. 
They just never exercised it. Yeah. They never trained it. They never prepared for it. So having it down on paper doesn't mean anything unless you you do the work for it. Mm -hmm. So, um, Ed, any thoughts on what you know Alec brought up there? Yeah, two 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 things came to mind while he was talking, and and actually, Alec, the great great recitation. Um, but but I also want to 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 point out it's not just the government. There are a lot of um, uh, uh, nonprofits out there who are also putting out excellent excellent materials. I'll give a shout out to uh, Secure Communities Network, uh, which is a, uh, a partnership of two uh, nationwide uh, Jewish organizations, which has a great library of written and video materials, also a, uh, an extensive library of, of, of uh, former uh, webinars that they've put out uh, that you can access uh, on, on uh, their website, securecommunitiesnetwork.org. Uh, also, uh, don't shy away from looking outside the United States. The Brits also have a great library. Uh, so do the Aussies. Uh, also uh, put out a lot of good material on these things. And one of the things that you'll find when you get outside the United States, particularly in Europe and in, in uh, some of, some of the uh, uh, um, smaller uh, developing countries, is that their, uh, their, their focus is, while still on prevention, they go much deeper into resilience than we do here. And that is um, the recognition of the fact that the incident, as daunting and as devastating as it may be, is going to be over very quickly. You're going to have to live with the consequences afterwards. And in terms of your planning, your security planning, your safety planning, you got to have a recovery plan. You got to think through what happens if the balloon goes up, uh, and 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 for whatever reason you're taken down. Uh, how are you going to respond? Not in the moment, but in terms of rebuilding your community, reestablishing trust, reestablishing a sense of comfort with the environment that people are in. Um, um, if you're a house of worship or a place of business, where are you going to operate? Uh, if it's if it's a matter of a natural hazard and uh, you've been flooded out, is there some place nearby where you can be running your services? Uh, if it's unfortunately a, a terrorism or a, or an assault incident and your facility gets turned into a crime scene, uh, the folks in in Squirrel Hill and Pittsburgh still have not gotten back their uh, their facility. Tree of Life that's still closed for business. All of those institutions have had to recover and rebuild in a secondary location, another location. So part of the planning has to be not only what you're gonna do in the moment, uh, but also, and this is something that DHS stresses quite a bit, is recovery. Uh, so build for resilience is something that I can throw out there as well. So that, those are my two cents. All right, yeah, no, it's great, great. Great commentary, guys. Great advice for a lot of our listeners here to, to be out there. And I, I think really trying to just, just dispel that this isn't, does look, it can appear to be daunting uh, from the onset, but really take a step back, look at what you're trying to do. And, and there are some very easy, practical, and definitely low-cost opportunities here to, to make yourself more secure. And look, don't delay. I mean, uh, honestly, it, it, each day you delay invites more opportunity for somebody to do something bad. And, and, and that's just, that's just what we really want to prevent. We want to deter as much as possible. So, all right, gentlemen, let's switch topics. And we have Ed, both of you both work uh, with and around faith-based organizations. So I wanted to ask this question here, um, you know, and, and Ed, we can start here. From, you know, last year we talked about, you know, you were on, we talked about the hostage situation in Texas. There were a lot of other faith-based events that occurred during the year, especially around, um, you know, the Roe v. Wade, the overturn of Roe v. Wade and the targeting, whether fairly or unfairly, against just in general places of worship and houses of worship. Uh, we also had the, um, the hard reset extremist report that came out. Uh, that really talked a lot, really targeted uh, the members of the Jewish faith, uh, as, as well as other faiths as well, but uh, it was really talking hard on, uh, on the Jewish faith. 
Um, so there were a lot of things that occurred during the year. Um, what what are some of the things as you're looking in 2023? Are you looking for continuation of those activities? Or are you looking for, is there anything else standing out that might be on the horizon that you're you're closely monitoring? Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to echo back a program that you and I put together for FBI SAL over a year ago, uh, which is coming due, if you will, as a result of Ukraine, and that's drones. And I know that it's something that a lot of people roll their eyes at, but uh, it's, it's been keeping me awake at night for a long time. And, and with the, um, the demonstrated utility uh, that drones provide that we're seeing in Ukraine right now, you got to believe that the bad guys are paying attention and picking up on this if they hadn't been already. Uh, and the reality is that the vulnerability assessment models that most all of us utilize, target hardening and et cetera, you know, are looking at flat space. Our adversary comes on wheels or on feet. Uh, and, and virtually all of the perimeter protection controls, access controls, uh, and, and capabilities, the mitigations that we build around those are really two-dimensional in the sense that we're worried about people coming through a door, coming through a gate, coming over a wall. We don't look up. Uh, and what we're finding out right now is, is, is uh, air control is becoming vitally important. And the thing that's coming out of, uh, out, out of Ukraine more than anything, because for the longest time drone meant oh, some big piece of you know, multi-million dollar uh, uh, military hardware. Uh, no, these things are the same ones you buy at, uh, at, at, at Costco. Uh, they'll cost you a couple hundred bucks and um, kids are learning how to modify them. Uh, not only is uh, intelligence platforms for collecting critical information about what's going on on the other side of that wall that we may have locked the door and denied access to, but now someone's going to fly over and take a look at us. Uh, but by the same token, um, making around with them, learn how to drop ordnance, drop inflammatories and anything else that they want to onto us. So when we're, when we're doing our plans for, say, open air events, uh, we got to be aware that um, we're, one of these days, the first one's going to happen and all of us are going to go, uh-oh, now we have to worry about that. And what I'm saying right now is that I think it's time to start worrying now. The other thing that I think is really prevalent that came out of the document that you were talking about, the hard reset, uh, is, is, is our electrical grid and our, our substations. Um, take a look around. Find out where your local substation is, uh, you know, the downlink from the power company that takes the power from the big lines and puts it into your house. And just take a look at how vulnerable those things are. Now, this isn't new. This is something that uh, DOE has been worried about, you know, for at least the past 40 years. Um, but the reality is that these places are protected by chain link fences. Um, usually, you know, maybe an SNG lock hanging on a, on a hasp, probably more likely a master, uh, if that, uh, set of bolt cutters, or as we're finding out now, someone standing off in the, in the, in the street with a, with a, with a handgun or a, or a rifle can take down power to your neighborhood. And, uh, one of the things that they spent a couple of pages on in the hard reset is exactly how to go about doing that. So from that standpoint, think in terms of your power controls, think in terms of what you're going to do when the power goes off, because more likely than not, you know, it may be happening relatively soon. But the other thing that goes along with that is, uh, for instance, my synagogue, we share a lot line with a power uh, uh, substation, uh, something that was front and center in my brain, the minute that we picked the space to build on, that was what was available, that's what we got. Um, and, uh, and, and now all of a sudden, uh, they're being called out as a, as a worthwhile target by the bad guys. That said, um, I gotta put that into my planning. 
I got to think, and this is why I was saying earlier about the idea, it's got to be a frequent refresh. Uh, things change. You may have thought through your program uh, quite effectively, but you got to look at the threat space, see what's changing in the threat space, see what the adversaries are experimenting with, see what they're training on, see what they're saying in their social media and such, and figure out whether or not anything that they're talking about or that they're doing alters your planning. If not, fine. But if so, there may be new, new, new vulnerabilities that you want to take a look at and come up with mitigations. The thing that I think is scaring most of us is that I don't have any quick and easy, cheap mitigations for drones. As we found out when we did our, uh, our, our uh, monthly threat beef there, you know, 15, 16 months ago, most of the things that are under investigation right now by law enforcement and the military are illegal for civilians to utilize. Um, so I think this is going to be a big, no longer a black swan, but certainly a gray swan that's going to catch a lot of us off guard. So if I had to pick one, I'd do that. If I wanted to pick a low-hanging piece of fruit, I'd say lock your doors in the interim. <laughs> there you go. Good, 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 good call out, sir. Ed. And, and I, I will tell you for the drones, uh, you know, I'm glad to hear you hammer on that because, you know, really, you're absolutely right. When we're thinking vulnerability assessments, we got to stop looking at street level and eye level. We need to look up and, and consider those risks. And again, even if you don't, even if you say, well, the likelihood is low, at least you're, you're you've got to start considering it. And it's got to be a planning factor because you're right, what's happening every day by these threat actors is only going to become easier, cheaper for them to use and more devastating. So I think we're only scratching the surface for what drone impacts uh, really can be because there's some scary stuff out there. Um, okay, um, and I'm I'm thinking like Spider-Man and, and all that other crazy stuff uh, <laughs> uh, far from home there. So th that said, okay, let me turn it to you, Alec. What are you thinking on from a threat perspective uh, as we look ahead in 2023? Well, let me just uh, uh, echo you to your two comments right there. I mean, what Ed was just saying, agree wholeheartedly with, especially just in the utility space and critical infrastructure, we are already starting to, not starting, but have been worried about drones for a while. And I mean, we've already seen uh, drones employed for malicious intent against targeting a electric substation and what also, again, you, I mean, they can be used in physical slash kinetic attacks, but it, they can also be used to conduct cyber attacks. So, I mean, these are just very versatile tool. So, again, as you were saying, we need to, this is actually a, well, a whole society, but also more federal government issue that needs to uh, create some more policies or some regulations that allow, empower individuals at the community level to deal with this threat. I know there's some legislation going through Congress, I believe right now, that would either allow local law enforcement or some other public safety officials to actually conduct like kinetic attacks using, I guess, firearms or something else to take these out of the sky, or maybe even using EW electric weapons to fry their sensors or something like that. But then uh, going back uh, to just faith-based organizations, kind of similar to just the, the general threat environment facing us in the homeland. I mean, FB organizations are facing an increasingly volatile, complex, and diverse threat environment. I mean, attacks on faith-based organizations are on the rise, and hate crime in, hate, incidents of hate crimes are also growing. So, um, just even today, we saw a report from a Christian nonprofit that since May May 2020, there have been at least 275 attacks against Catholic churches in the U.S. And since just May 2022, the leaking of the Dobbs um, verdict, there were 818 attacks. And what is that? Uh, a little less than six months or a little more than six months. And so that's just against churches. But then anti-Semitic incidents targeting Jewish institutions jumped 61% from 2020 to 2021, according to the ADL. And again, violent extremists from across the ideological spectrum consider many different faith groups and organizations as attractive targets because of their ideological goals. And also, again, as we've been talking, many of these faith-based organizations are very soft targets. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, geez. 
I, I tell you, you know, I, I accuse Bridget Johnson of being a Debbie Downer sometimes, <laughs> you know, and just bringing everybody down. Maybe we shouldn't talk about some of these things sometimes. We, we should do something fun one time. Uh, uh, Alec, you said you're a big Star Wars person. Maybe we'll just Love do Star Wars. a Star Wars discussion uh, on that next time. But <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So, and guys, not to mention, virtually every violent extremist has some anti Semitic hatred. So, yeah. <laughs> Again, again, the cherry on top. So, (laughs) so, look, gentlemen, this has been, you know, we've covered a lot today. You know, we have a lot of topics that we got into. We haven't touched on all the areas we wanted to, but I, you know, in the effort of, in in the interest of time, let's do quickly one time around to talk about calling out something that you feel, you know, you want to hit, make it, you know, quick, short statement and maybe we can dr- drill down on it provide some links into for uh the show notes or or whatnot but uh ed let, let's start with you anything quick hit you want to you want to touch on uh for the audience here yeah you know i <clears throat> quick hit uh what the hell is wrong with us <laughs> <laughs> no the, the the thing that you know in, in, in Besides drones, besides uh, uh, the the electrical power substations and things like that, the thing that that I find really, really bewildering right now is just the decline in civil kindness that we're seeing. You know, this this the the the, the polarization, the diminishing civility and discourse that we see. Uh, I I'd really like to get back to a frame where. You know, your neighbor who happens to not vote the way you do isn't necessarily a sniveling piece of excrement. Uh, He's your neighbor. She's your neighbor. They're good people. Uh, The fact that they vote different from you does not make them the enemy. Uh, There's more to life than uh, than than than, uh, punching political noses. And uh, I'd really like to get back to the point where we can engage in conversation, not only with our neighbors, uh, you know, and our coworkers, but our families, mm-hmm. where we've just let silliness take over our lives. And I think that it, it, it's, it's part and parcel to everything else that we're discussing here today, this, this, this degradation in the way we treat one another, uh, and this increasing idea that being a jerk is the way to live your life this, this um, um, unfettering of our own personal filters uh, and inhibitions about bad behavior and belief that anything goes. Uh, there are so many Overton windows that are opening and closing like, like a revolving fan in terms of things that we never would have considered to be possible to say in polite company, let alone impolite company that are just now becoming um, commonplace. Uh, If we can find our way back to being nice people again, I think that our work on this planet will have been done. Yeah, here, here, Ed. I mean, really well said. And I do think that is a a very big contributor to some of the issues that we're struggling with. And that, unfortunately, we have to prepare for as security professionals. I mean, I think that's that's a big challenge, um, but I, I do think it's a much larger conversation there, and I'd love to have that with you, Ed, because I do think that that it gets to like a lot of the root of where we stand on some of these ideology. Uh, never mind, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Belief systems that we have, and and the, the uh, we're getting through. So very well said, Ed. Uh, what about you, Alec? Any uh, quick hit you want to hit on for us? Yes, definitely. But first, just want to quickly agree with what you and Ed were just saying, there's way too many people in our society who are uh, committing acts of violence because some, they, something they disagrees with them or some grievance. And they're just, our people in our society are too readily quick to act on their beliefs when people should take a second to sit back, think and drink a glass of water or something. But I digress quickly, three quick hits. Preparedness is key, everyone. As we say again, preparedness uh, prepare today to prevent tomorrow. So train training is key. Again, frequent training exercise of your employees, awareness training, conduct frequent exercises. And lastly, you should network slash build relationships 
with other organizations in your community. So again, for utilities, that's reaching out to other local utilities. And then for everyone, I would recommend uh, connecting with your local police department. Consider having them come to your, uh, your site for a visit, offer to have them conduct training at your facility, because again, building those relationships during blue sky days can make all the difference when black sky events occur. Hey, and Alec, I want you to write each of those down and I want you to bring them to the next meeting of the of the uh, uh, maturity model planning group, uh, because all of those are going to be integral uh, to, to assessing the maturity of, uh, of an organization's security plan. You just nailed it, hit it right out of the park. Thank Definitely. you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, great, great comments. Uh, I, I will just end on two things. There were two topics we did not get to today, and we, we can bring to those a little bit, but I did want to call them out because I do think they're really important. So over the weekend in Atlanta, there was an Antifa event. Uh, there was a you know disruption there, and, and the police did respond. Uh, I think it's really important to call out because you know we haven't seen these activities much in the last year and a half, eighteen to twenty-four months. And I think you know they've they've been out there, but they haven't really been called out. And so what I think it's really important for organizations to think about is, hey, let's not forget about these things. They are still occurring. They are still out there. And whether you're on the right side, you're the left side, or you're in the in the middle. These groups are out there trying to disrupt uh, activities. So think about that. Again, you can look up the Antifa in Atlanta uh, event, and we'll put some notes in the show notes as well, or some links in the show notes. And the other thing is, I've talked about this on the uh, security sprint last week, just a real quick hit on it. But again, classified document protection, uh, again, not a political statement here, but it translates to organizational security around data. So, you know, thinking about how these how the federal government protects or doesn't protect their classified information, you should be looking at how you are protecting your data. Threat actors are working across a lot of different venues to target you, whether elicitation, through cyber phishing campaigns, or a lot of different events to try to get after that. So just really want to call those two areas out. Uh, but as we wrap up here, Really want to thank our two panelists today, Ed and Alec. You guys were tremendous. Thank you very much. We'll have to have you guys back on, and it won't be too long a time. Ed, I promise it won't be a year next time. So it seems like it flew by. But Alec, thank you again for jumping right in there and, and contributing as much as you did. But uh, with that, I will just mention that this is just one of the Gate 15 family of podcasts. You have Andy Jabor's Gate 15 interview. You have uh, Jennifer Lynn Walker's cybersecurity evangelist. We get together for the Risk Roundtable, uh, Jen, Andy, and I. And then our newest uh, weekly podcast is the Security Sprint. It's a 15 to 20 minute podcast where we talk a little bit behind the scenes on some of the the events, either they may be well publicized or they may be something that you may have missed in your daily read. So we encourage you to give us a listen. And again, go to your favorite podcast platform, like and review us if you like. You can email us at uh, podcast at gate15.global. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you as well. So with that, Ed, Alec, thank you for your time today. And uh, we bid you adieu.